0: 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10. Bless the Lord. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, "Oh that thou wouldest bless me, Indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that Thine hand might be with me, and that Thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sense of your presence. Thank you, Father, for your spirit with us. And now, Father, we pray that You would speak. To hearts through thy word. And we ask you, Lord, that you would teach us in your word to glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen. You know, we have done three weeks, I think it is at this point. Yes, we've been here three weeks. So this is our third week of the prayer of Jabez. Jabez, as we have said, is only mentioned four times. His name, that is, is only mentioned four times in three verses in all of Scripture. And so we looked at how Jabez, his name means to, uh, to be grievous or to grieve or to be sorrowful, because his mother, it says, bear him with sorrow. His name, Jabez, is also in the Hebrew, Yabetz, and it gives the idea that he was Birth in grief or something happened at that time, there was a grievous time for his mother. So he was the head of a Kilabite family, which we looked at last week. And then we were told there was a town called Jabez named after him. That's in First Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55. We have looked at that. And then we're told that also, according to Jewish sources, Uh, They affirm that he was an eminent doctor of the law. And so we do find in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55, the families of the scribes dwelt at Jabez. So the families of the scribes were there, or those learned men in the scripture in the Old Testament. So notice here, Jabez last week, head of a Calebite family, we looked at how Caleb, he stopped the, the, the people whenever there was an evil report brought back by the 10 spies. Remember, the 12 spies were sent out to spy Canaan land. 10 came back with an evil report. Two came back with a good report. That was Caleb and Joshua. And he stops the people. They're starting to get all panicky and ready to to even attack the leadership of Israel. And remember, we looked at an evil report may bring an exaggerated response. They brought an exaggerated response. And so what happened is these 10 men of negativity, we see the walls are up to the sky, up to heaven, and then they say the, 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 the people were like giants and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. So they're starting to feel their, their confidence, as it were, was very low. And because of this, we find then that Uh, they're saying, we can't do this. Jabez stills or stops the people. And he says, we are well able to overcome it, not just to defeat it, but to overcome. And he says, let's go at once. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. And so Caleb, pardon me, it was Caleb. And so Caleb Jabez comes from his line. It's the tribe of Judah. And from there, he then becomes the head of the Calebite family. We have looked at so much, but this morning we want to finish this study on looking at the prayer itself of Jabez. Notice what it says in our reading this morning. 1 Chronicles 4 and verse 10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, O that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And we're told, in God granted him that which he requested. Five G's, five words to summon this verse up, this prayer up in the scripture. First of all, God. There's the first one, God. The second one is grace. We find grace in this. The third one is growth. The fourth one is guidance, and the fifth one is guardianship, is guardianship. You see, the prayer of Jabez, if you were to read through Chronicles, people don't read these sort of books, but they are important when you want to go further into genealogical backgrounds and who was who. And so in the middle of this, if you looked at uh, the book of Chronicles, come and write down even chapter three, in the chapter four, it was such and such was the father of such and such, and he had so many children, then it gives the genealogical family lines of those families. And it's right in the chapter four, for example, in verse eight, and cause begat Anub and Sobeba and the families of Aharhel, the son of Harum. Suddenly, it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Notice, it changes. It changes. And then in verse 11, And Chalub, the brother of Shua, begat Meher, which was the father of Ashton. It goes back into it again. Do you notice that? All of this genealogical line. Then it's the prayer of Jabez. For two verses of our reading, then it goes back into all the genealogy again. It's as though the Holy Spirit stops the writer dead in his tracks, pulls back as it were the curtain, and lets us see the prayer of Jabez, then closes it again. So I feel that it's very important, that's why we've taken our time over these three weeks on this. I feel that it's very important that we, that we look at this because There's not a word in the Scripture that isn't there on purpose. Everything is there for a reason. Every name is there for a reason. Every genealogical line is there for a reason. Every jot and tittle, as it's called, in the Scripture is there for a reason. And so it's as though it pulls back the curtain and the light shines out. Then he closes it again, back into the genealogical line. So the prayer of Jabez is as brief as the four mentions of his name. It's as brief. It's like opened and close. Two little verses. The prayer of Jabez opens, gets to the point, and closes again. Jabez doesn't open. The prayer of Jabez, it's not like it opens. The prayer of Jabez comes for his... And Jabez prays around every single thing. He doesn't pray for his Aunt Aggie stubbed toe, which she hit on the bed last night, getting into bed. He, he, it doesn't happen. It's direct, and it's to God. He knows to whom his prayer is to. And so the Holy Spirit is putting it in the heart, the mind, and the pen of this person to write this, to pull back the curtains that we might see something in the midst of all of this. So it's opened, and it gets to the point. The prayer of Jabez is from the heart. We'll look at it in a moment. It's, It's full of pathos. It's from the heart. It's not a, a ritual. It's not a, a, a ritual or a rigmarole, as some of us would say. It's not a bead-counting exercise. It's not say so many prayers over and over again, counting the beads. Like, like the Roman Catholic Church does, or like Islam does, or any of those things do. It's not like that. It's a, it gets straight to the point and it's from the heart. It's the heart of Jabez to the heart of God. And one old Puritan said that prayer is the soul's breathing itself into the heart or the bosom of its father. And when we pray we must believe. Many of us pray and we don't believe. We don't believe and we don't receive. Many of us pray and we so to leave it there for a moment, then we take it back again and walk with the burden. And we wonder why the burden hasn't changed. We wonder why the hurt hasn't left us or gone away. We wonder why the bitterness is still in the heart when we've, we've prayed and we have left it there, so-called, but then we have retracted it again. Here, this is from the heart. Prayer is from the heart. It's not in ritual. This prayer also tells us that no matter how popular his background or pedigree was, no matter how intellectual Jabez's mind was in the law of God, Jabez had a good standing in society. And no matter the man that he was, that's not what counts. What counts is not the prayer we must always get to the pastor or the elders, and we're here to pray for you. Don't get me wrong. We're here to help you if we can. You, Christian, you, believer, have an open heaven where you can go directly to the throne of grace, to the throne room of Almighty God. Notice here, it's not in the standing of the man But it's the man who's standing in glory on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our great high priest. Notice here, Jabez prayed to God for grace. He prayed his heart's desire in the will of the Lord and for growth. And he prayed for guidance and he prayed for guardianship. Now, I have something I want to tell you that if you pray for growth, guidance, and guardianship to the Lord with a heart of meaning, brother, sister, God will lead you, guard you, guide you, and grow you. But I can also tell you that God will bring you on a path maybe your feet haven't trod before. God will bring you a way that you've never traversed before. God will bring you somewhere where you thought you'd never go. He teaches us to walk while he guards us and guides us. He teaches us to walk. You know, when you're trying to get your child to walk for the first time, and they're holding on to the furniture, and they're going along the furniture... Maybe you get a toy or something like that. First thing they walk to, whatever it's been, I I can't remember, but apparently I walked to a pigeon. That's what I was told when I was young. I walked to a pigeon. And you're holding, as it were, the the toy, let's put it like that. And you're, you're saying, come and get it. And you're trying to entice them. And when they eventually leave whatever they're standing at, the sofa or the chair or whatever they're holding to, and start to do those first dottery steps to take those first steps. When the child gets, they go for the toy that's in the parent's hand, and they think, as it were, I've got it. This was the goal. But it wasn't the goal. The parent knows it wasn't the goal. The goal was to teach them to walk. The goal is to teach them to walk. And sometimes our Father gives us things, as it were, and we we walk after it. And sometimes when we eventually get it, we think, I've done it. And then suddenly we are away far further than where we thought we were going to be. We're in a different route and a different direction. We thought we're going this way, but eventually because we think we're looking for, as it were, the toy, the promise, the gift, we end up this way and we eventually arrive where the Father has taught us to walk, this way. So sometimes we think, Lord, I don't know this way. I can't walk this path. It's like David putting on Saul's armor. I have not proven this armor. I can't fight the giant. So then you go what God has given you and he proves you with that. And you think you're slaying the giant, but really, it's God who directs the stone. It's God who directs the stone. It's God who takes the stone and sinks it into the giant's forehead. And so, what you do is you stand on the giant when he's dead, you take his sword and you cut off his head, and you think, you and I think, we've done it. Praise the Lord. But sometimes we forget it's God that's been in it the whole way through. Sometimes we forget. And sometimes we're praying and we're praying and we're seeking God when we're in the valley. When we're in the storm, we're seeking and praying and we're not letting him go. We're going to look at it in a second. We're not going to let him go till he blesses us. And then when he blesses us, we forget him. We're on the mountain, you see. We don't need him anymore. What if we sought the Lord and prayed and sang unto the Lord and worshipped the Lord as much on the mountaintop as we did when we were seeking his face in the traverse of of the valley and through the storm? Here we find Jabez just shines that light through the genealogy. The curtains, as it were, comes back, the light shines out, and it closes back again. Say, God has said, that's enough for you to go on. That's enough for you to go on. You and I would not be able to take in all that God has for us. We just couldn't do it at once. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I have many things to say unto thee, but you cannot bear them now. And John, the younger The youngest of the the disciples was there. He says, you can't bear them now. And here's John, and, and he's listening to this, this young man full of energy and vigor. And because of this, John's saying, well, how much more wonder is there to get? And what happens? John is traversing a place where he did not know that he was going to end up. And he ends up on a barren isle of Patmos, a prison home. And what happens in the prison home? The Lord shows them that which they couldn't bear before. His death, burial, resurrection, and outpouring, fulfilling of the Holy Spirit. There's people can't bear things because they're not the Spirit. Amen? There's people get upset about the things of the Spirit because the flesh is carnal and is against the Spirit. But when we have the Spirit of God, we recognize his guardianship, his guidance. Notice here, the prayer of Jabez has no conclusion either. It has no conclusion. In other words, it has no amen. The curtain's just God answers prayer, and away it goes into genealogy again. There's no big conclusions of amen, of his prayer. God says, bring your worries, your burdens, your desires, your needs to me. Oh, that thou hast blessed me indeed, he says, and leave them with me. You and I, You and I try to tell God how to do it. We try to tell God when to do it and what to do the way we'd like it. But he's God. And we're not. So here we find there's no great conclusion. Listen, flick quickly with me to the book of Acts. The very last chapter... The very last chapter, Acts chapter 28, the last two verses, you see the book of Acts has no conclusion either. And the book of Acts has no amen either. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we go to the book of Acts. Last chapter, chapter 28, verse 30, the last two verses of the book. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things with all confidence, no man forbidding him. That's it. That's how the book of Acts finishes. Do you know why I believe that that's the way it finishes? And there's no amen? Because the book of Acts isn't the acts of the apostles, as it says in, in our Bibles at the start of it. The book of Acts is the the acts of the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. And many people want to try and tell us as if the Holy Spirit stopped at the book of Acts. There is no ending to the book of Acts because Paul is preaching the kingdom. We are told to keep preaching the kingdom of God And the Holy Spirit is in you and I, believer. And that means that the Holy Spirit is still moving, gifting, and leading to this very moment. The Holy Spirit has stopped, and that's not for today. Well, you want to tell the Lord, because his book says it continues until he comes. And it doesn't change. So we find that this prayer is something similar. It's as though we want God to do it our way and on our time. Instead of being more Christ-like to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And who said that? Who said that? The Lord Jesus in Gethsemane to his Father, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, friends, brothers, sisters, it's hard because we're human, because we're flesh, because we're, we're people. We're all people. And for the Spirit to move and for us to be able to yield to the sovereignty of God, Would you say sovereignty? Sovereignty. Would you say it louder? You know why? Because people believe in the sovereignty of God until it's no longer the sovereignty of God. But he's always sovereign. The prayer of Jabez is showing us the sovereignty of God here. The curtain comes back. And we see him call to the only one who can help. An old Puritan called Vavasor Paul. And listen to what he says. A saint is to put forth his faith in prayer and afterwards following his prayer with faith. Saint, you and I are to put forth our faith in prayer. Faith is to believe in him. To believe him. Not just in him, but to believe him. So we're putting forth our faith in prayer. Then we follow our prayer with faith. What does that mean? That we have prayed about it, he knows about it, thy will be done in it, and we will walk according to it. Look, as you know, we've, we've seen today, this morning the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in here this morning. Tongues and interpretations and, and so on. And that's marvelous. That's good. That's great. But one of the gifts is faith. We all focus on the one. Tongues, interpretation. But you know, listed, listed, there's another seven. What about faith? Faith tells us in the darkest of moments that he's still in charge. Faith tells us in the worst of times he still has it all under control. Faith tells us that our God loves us, not because of us. It's not how good you and I are. It's not because of who you are or I am. God loves us in spite of us, not because of us. And your heavenly Father doesn't love you any more now than he did yesterday. And your heavenly Father doesn't love you any less now than he did yesterday. And he won't love you any more tomorrow than he does right now. He never changes. And from eternity, upon his own elect, he placed His love. If you're a believer this morning, he placed his love on you. He placed his love on you before your mommy or daddy even thought of you. Before you were, let's say, a twinkle in your mommy and daddy's eye. Before there was a sinner on the earth in our father Adam. There was a Savior in heaven, in Christ. See, the cross is not an afterthought of God for you, where we must, as it were, try and pull the curtain back our best. The temple had the curtain down. The temple in Jerusalem, the tabernacle before it, had the curtain down. Separated, but that curtain has been rent in twain from the top right to the bottom. And you and I can now enter into the presence of the Lord to bring all those things to God, but we must learn by faith to leave them there, for he hath consecrated a new and living way for us. Do you know what that means, a new and living way? The Hebrew writer is telling us of the temple when the priests, they shed blood, then they brought it, as it were, in basins, and they sprinkled it as they walked into the Holy of, Holy of Holies, or as they walked towards the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And they sprinkled it on the furniture, all of those articles, and then on the, the mercy seat that was there, the lid of the golden box, that Ark of the Covenant, where the cherubim angels, wing-touched wing, and there the glory came down. But the blood was sprinkled there, Shed on purpose, but applied. You see, the blood of Jesus was shed at Calvary, but it must be applied. It must be applied. And the Hebrew writer is saying, the high priest could go in just but once a year with that blood on the ground as he sprinkled it coming toward it. But he's saying that Jesus hath consecrated a new and living way, or as it says in the text, a freshly slain road, as though the the animal's blood was being shed right now. The blood of Jesus, the power in the blood of the Lamb, the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been shed once and for all, will never be shed nor repeated again, but it gives us the idea that because he shed his blood, and because his blood was poured out from his veins at Calvary's tree, you and I, listen, believer, this is who you are. You can enter right into the throne room of grace to the presence of the Lord like the high priest of Israel did, and you and I walk upon a freshly slain road. It means the blood has never lost its power. The blood has never lost its power, brother. The blood of Jesus has never lost its power, sister. Come on, would you praise the Lord this morning? Would you say praise the Lord and give Him glory for, it, for He alone is worthy? Will you give us a big amen? amen? Jesus is worth more than that, isn't He? You know what? I could take you, I could take you to a football match and then shout their heads off for a, a bag full of air, for men whose breath is in their nostrils. And they'll squeal their heads off. And shout out loud. And they'll wave their hands in the air. And they'll they'll cheer them on. I don't watch football, but I know what happens. For men kicking a bag full of air through a goalpost. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is worthy of all of our praise. Jesus is worthy of the glory. We find... That we can enter in. The curtain has been torn. We're entering in as it were the curtain is torn. Our prayers are being poured forth. Our prayers are being poured forth. Believe him. Believe him. And notice here the conclusion of the prayer, as it were, or the end of the prayer, Jalbez does not conclude it, but it says at the end, And God granted him that which he requested. God granted that which he requested. Wycliffe's Bible Dictionary says this. His brief record appears like a bright light in the otherwise drab genealogies of Chronicles. Let's be honest, when you're reading through it, it's nearly... I've read it and your eyes are going trying to get through it as quick as you can it's hard but when you come to Jabez suddenly what's happened? so here we find Jabez was not motivated by greed but by faith in God's covenant promises of an inheritance I want you to catch this Jabez's prayer was not motivated by greed, but faith in God's covenant promises of an inheritance. Jabez knew God had promised, and Jabez knew he could come for the promise. Do you know you have a promised inheritance? Look, I think at times we all get. We get to that place where it's, Lord, here I am. Oh, I'm just into a pure. Oh, Lord, I just don't even know what to say. I'm a pure, wretched sinner. Oh, Lord, help me. We all get there, don't we, sometimes? Oh, dear. That's okay. That's all right. We, we We all get like that. Brothers and sisters, we step in, as it were, to the presence of God. Father, I thank you that you hear me always and that I am your child. Father, I thank you you love me in spite of who I am and not because of who I am. So in this prayer, first of all, he directs his prayer to God. It says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel. Listen, all the other gods. When you go home you read Psalm one hundred and fifteen, verses one to seven, I tell you about the idol gods, and they have hands and they can't handle and ears and they can't hear and mouths, they can't speak. And David says, That's all the heathen gods, but I know mine is the living God. And here Jabez comes. He directs himself, knowing the living God. He is praying to the living God. Then secondly, he says, Oh, that thou wast blessed me indeed. Sometimes we think that to be blessed, ask the Lord, would you bless us? Well, that must be greedy. Depends what they are asking him for, doesn't it? Depends what you're asking him for. For example, I will not turn to it this morning, but if you're taking notes, write it down. In Genesis 32, we have the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night long. Sometimes you get long, long nights. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh. When? In the morning. In other words, there's always a season. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die and so on. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, get into 2. And so here we find that the season passes, the season of hurt, the season of uh, mourning, the season of uh, anger, the season of bitterness, the season of disappointment, the season of disillusionment, and, and so on and so on. They are seasons. And when the devil came to tempt the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, we're told after he gave him three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy, like the sword man, it is written, it is written, and it is written, the devil couldn't stand. He ran away, as it were, and it says he left him for a season. Even the Lord Jesus was tempted, but without sin. Even the Lord Jesus felt the pain. Even the Lord Jesus felt the loss. The Lord Jesus felt it all. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, says the Hebrew writer." So Jesus knows exactly what you and I go through. He knows pain. He knows what it's like. He knows what hunger is like. He knows what thirst is like. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to to have people hate you. He knows what it's like to be weary and what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to have argumentative people come against him. He knows every single part of it for he has, he has tested it, as it were, and tasted it for you and for me, that we can now say, Lord, the curtain is back. We enter in, and we, you know what we are going through. You know how I'm feeling. You know the sense. And when you're trying to talk to people of your inner person, how you're feeling, what you've went through or going through, and suddenly you're lost for words. Do you ever get lost for words when you're trying to express the hurt inside, and you can't? And sometimes we rabble and babble on because we're trying to prove the point to get it over. This is how I am. We still don't get there because we can't express it. Even Job thought that. Even Job thought that. Even today, he says, is my complaint bitter? For my stroke is heavier than my groanings, he said. You know what he means? I can't tell you. I could try to tell you, but I'll never be able to fully explain to you how I feel and what I'm going through. But brothers and sisters, while it's good to talk and to share with each other and to bear burdens, to pray, and to lift one another up, and to help one another. And you may still not be able to fully explain, nor are they able to comprehend. He knows all about it. Every single thing, he knows about it. So here we find, oh, that thou would bless me indeed. And and Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night says the the day is breaking the the angel says let me go for the day is breaking I'm paraphrasing for time's sake and he says I will not let thee go except thou bless me bless me and he changes his name from Jacob meaning twister, surplanter, heel grabber Jacob was an old con artist oh he was an Israelite but he was still a corn artist. Corn, corn artist. Not a corn artist. A corn artist. And Jacob was that to his flesh, but God blessed him to become Israel, rooting our prince with God. So we find here, we need grace. Oh, that thou was blessed me indeed. Grace is to receive that which we don't deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. Lord, I'm not worthy of this. The curtain's back here for a moment. When you get home, I know maybe you're ready for your dinner and I'll be having mine too and so on. Why, Why don't you try and get somewhere, even for five minutes alone, into a room somewhere and pull back as it were the curtain, not your living room curtain or your bedroom curtain and such, but the curtain from your mind and from your heart which has veiled you and covered you where the blessing hasn't reached you and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus' blood has paved my way and I belong to you, Father. And pour out your heart before him like water, as Jeremiah the prophet would say. Let your eyes be like rivers of water. We need grace. Let's, be pres- let's send precision prayers. Here's something I do. Do you ever get sick and tired of praying the same thing over and 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 over again? I call it the shopping list. Here's my list. God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. And this one, that one, the other one. And after a long time, many days, you're like, "Well, here we go. Lord, I'm sure you're sick of listening to this. Tell you what I do. Sometimes I go in and I say, Lord, you know it all. You know it all. I just want to tell you that I love you I just want to tell you that I love you Lord I want to tell you how much I, I love you and adore you I want to magnify you I want to thank you I want to bless you how do we bless God? He's God Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 I think it's about verse 2 or 3 don't hope me to it but it's about there Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means bless him. And the word blessed is the word you lego. You, E-U, as that would be our English spelling. And lego, as in L-E-G-O. Or it comes from the word logos, as in the word. You means good. E-U means good. And logo lego, or logos, means word. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same as in the beginning with God in John 1, verses 1 to 3. So, so when Paul says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father, who bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you means good. Logo means word. It means speak well. Speak good things of your Father, and he'll bless you. Worship him, brother. Worship him, sister. Come and worship the Lord. I'm going to have to close soon. Let me Give me another few minutes and I'll, I'll wrap this up. Grace is that he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Growth is and enlarge my coast. And this word here, to enlarge, uh, it would take a study all in itself to, uh, to to bring out the different sorts of words that our English word is enlarged, but there's a few different Hebrew words Uh, To fit this. And for example here in 1 Samuel 2 and 1 it says and Hannah prayed and said my heart rejoiceth in the Lord, my heart is exalted, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. My mouth is enlarged. God didn't give Hannah a big mouth, you know. That's not what it means. Here in this instance, it means there's an enlargement of a smile. Hannah, who couldn't have a child, praying unto the Lord. And Hannah, or Hannah, is how you would say it in the Hebrew, is the exact same word for grace. She found grace in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, and, he, he, and she had a child. She was with child, and Elkanah, who was uh, the other wife, as it were, or pardon me, Penaniah was Elkanah's wife. And in that, we find that she was goading her because she could have children and Hana couldn't. And so, Hana means grace. Grace found her. She had the child, and she says, Lord, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, you have enlarged my mouth. In other words, it gives a rendering, you have given me a great big smile on my face in the presence of this woman. You know the song with Christ in the vessel you can smell at the storm. So this word enlarged, it can be in many, many other ways. Uh, that just doesn't mean big or to stretch out or to multiply. But whenever Jabez says in First Chronicles 4 and 10, Lord, Lord, enlarge, and enlarge my coast. And the word here for coast is the word kavul, and it means territory, region, border, boundary, or law, landmark. And the idea was, it's believed that Jabez was about to push into enemy territory because of the claim and the promise of God. Will you enlarge my coast? In other words, Jabez was going to believe God and take back that which the enemy had stolen. I'll speak for little old Ulster today. The rest of the nations can speak for themselves. The enemy has stolen our children. The enemy has stolen our youth. The enemy has stolen our young ones. And listen, the enemy is trying to steal many hearts. He steals now an Ulster through the abortion rackets. He steals the lives of unborn babies using wicked hands of Philistine men and women of Canaanite-led men and women, as it were. In other words, he steals through wickedness. Brothers and sisters, we need to, as the church, because he's stealing our freedoms, our religious and civil liberty. It's being stolen in Ulster. Just speaking for our little province here today he's stealing everything that was good and he's making good evil and evil good Jabez says Lord and Lord's my coast. I'm about to go into the enemy camp if you put the boundary where they are Lord I'll walk in and I'll claim it in your name Church, time, you and I claimed what God has given us and went to the enemy camp to bring it back. I want to say this and i say this without fear or favor. The church there's no more protestants anymore. Very few. A handful. Because I'll tell you what happens. I'll tell you what happens. They're afraid. They're afraid to stand up for the Word in case they're called names. They're afraid to stand up for truth and liberty in case they're slandered. And their standing in society is worth more to them And what this says. Would rather argue how many angels can dance in the head of a pin and take the word and go into the enemy camp with it. I must close. Thank you for your attention. He prays for guidance that his hand would be with him. And the idea here is, Lord, that you would make fashion work and accomplish in your providence what you want me to be. And then he prays for guardianship that thou wouldest keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. Now listen, as I say this final point. That you'd keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. Here's what people think. Lord, would you protect me from all this evil out there? Would you protect me from Antifa? Dear bless Brothers and sisters, a Marxist commie regime, and we're thinking we're afraid of it in case they call us names. Eh? That's not what it means. That I would protect me. That's not what Jabez is praying here. I'll tell you what he's praying. Job is saying, protect my heart from me. Do an evil. That it might not grieve me. Many in the church have lost their consciousness of God. They've lost their consciousness of holiness. You preach holiness now in the church and they empty right living. Oh, you must be like a Pharisee. See if the church started to get, with this word, started to have a conscience of their living. Is what I'm doing worldly? Is what I'm doing ungodly? Is what I'm doing unrighteous? And if we got it into our hearts and our heads and our minds, we could change We could change what we're seeing outside. But unfortunately, the world is in the church. And the church loves to be like the world. It says, and God granted him that which he requested. James 4 and 3, he says, he asked and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own loss, Brothers and sisters, let's not consume it on our own loss, but for the glory of God. By the way, the word miss, know what it means? It's the word kakos. It means, it gives the idea, I think it's used seven times for the word sick. S-I-C-K, to be sick. It means deplorable. Strange, isn't it? We ask amiss. We ask to be sick. No, that's not what it means. It means the things that we ask is as though we're We're asking out of a sickness, a heart that's not right, that we'll bring it on to our own lusts. Nigh unto God. That's what it means. Brothers and sisters, let's draw nigh unto God. And he will draw nigh unto us. I wanted to finish that this morning. Thank you for your attention.